in my prayer. It's good stuff. Woo. That first song, Because He Lives, that um, goes back to growing up in, a, in church where we'd sing hymns all the time. You may see me do this from time to time. I forgot my belt. So my pants just keep just sagging down and kind of keep reaching up. But we used to sing that song, Because He Lives, uh, in my church. And it has become, over the years as a child, um, to sing that song, um, and then as a teenager and adult, I think it's my favorite hymn of all. That was not exactly the hymn, but it had some of the same, similar words in it, and um, just some powerful stuff there this morning. Hey, it's good to see you. My name's Kent, if I don't know you, and I'm privileged to serve as one of the elders in our church, and it, it really is um, it's a privilege to get to serve in this role. I preached about, I don't know, it's at the end of July, and so to be um, this thing's about like my pants are, just going to keep sagging down. Um, I preached back in late July, and to have the privilege again to preach this weekend while Ryan and Laurel are at uh, Parents Weekend at Baylor uh, for Grayson. And so Ryan asked me to, to preach this morning, and uh, really privileged to do that. I, this last year, so 2018, I, I don't know if you've ever done this or not. I hope that you have, and I would encourage you. This is one thing that struck me years ago was, um, I would, if I died, I would go to heaven and see Jesus, and I, he would say, did you read what I sent you? Did you read the book, the letter I wrote? And I'd be like, well, I read parts of it, but didn't read the whole thing, and so I became convicted years ago that I needed to read the Bible, and so periodically, I will just read the whole Bible through over a period of a year, and so last year, I did that, and I found myself at times rushing through it because I would have daily readings, and like, man, it would be late at night, and I'm a, more of a night person. And, but still, it'd be like, oh, i got so much reading to do, and I would just skim through it so quickly. And so this year, I had a really good friend of mine. He said, hey, will you read that whole thing through with me? And we'll do it with some other guys and some good friends of ours. And I said, yeah, I'll, I don't know if I'll do the whole thing, but I want to do the New Testament. And he goes, that's fine. Just join with us on the New Testament. So I started in January 1 reading the New Testament again. And, you know, you have your favorite books of the Bible. I don't know. You know, most of us probably, you've read the Bible, you think, well, I like this, I like this book a lot, and it speaks to me in a deep way or something like that, and, it, and it's changed for me through the years, but in most recent days this summer, I have come across the book of um, Ephesians again, and the book of Luke, and just quickly on Luke, if you want a spiritual nudge, that's a light way to put it. Um, the words of Jesus in that book are powerful and ones you've got to deal with. Words like, hey, you can't be my disciple if you don't love me more than everybody else. If you don't hate your mother, father, brother, sister. If you don't, make, if you don't love me so much that it looks like hate to the rest of the world, like all your other relationships, you just can't be my disciple. And that's not a scripture you just fly through and go, okay, I'm on to my day. You don't just fly through that. And so you read scripture like that in Luke and you take it methodically close, looking at every verse and going, what is he saying to me through this? And then to come in Ephesians, and it's always been one of my favorite books, the book of Ephesians, because of, there's great theology there. We read in the first mm, 14 verses about God's, uh, his sovereign plan for our lives of coming upon us when we were dead. And next week, I think we'll get to this next week if I finish this message and get all the way through verse 23, but Ryan will talk about chapter 2, where he says, we were dead in our sin, and God 
He breathed life into us. And the difference that made in my life maybe 20 years ago, of just the reality of that theology that God sought me out before I ever did because I was never going to choose him. And so to read these things and going through Ephesians has been something that has been powerful for me. And I want to encourage you in one thing. This is not really part of my message, but it, it is now. Um, I had the friend who encouraged me when I was reading. We started in January, and he said, we're going to follow a pattern of this. He says, you read the Scripture, and we all comment. It's on the Bible app. He says, you, you read the Scripture, and you say, God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying through your Scripture? And, and it makes you slow down, but you're saying, what, what exactly are you saying in this verse here, God? So you write that down, and then you follow that up with, what do I need to do with that Scripture? What are, What's the implications for me? What's the application? I had a good, really good friend, mentor, pastor, friend of mine who would always say, we need to teach toward application. And whenever you read the Word of God, you read it toward application for your life. It's not just a bunch of theology and doctrine, although that's very powerful. That's what we need to live our life by. We need to know our doctrine. But how does that play out in your everyday life? And so when I'm reading the Bible this year and going through it, every time I'm reading the Bible, I'm going through this order. God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me personally? And what, what do I need to do with this scripture? And then the third thing is, who am I going to tell? Who am I going to share this with? I've got to tell somebody about this. And I can't keep it to myself. And so this pattern of say, uh, what's God saying to me? And then what do I need to do with it? I've got to obey. I can't read Ephesians 1 and go, just walk away from it. What does this mean for my life right now? And who am I going to tell this to? And so we come into a meeting like this this morning, and we just re- Tori just read the scripture. Man, I'm thinking through that whole thing. God, what are you saying? Even I'm about to preach on this. God, what are you saying in this scripture that applies to me personally? And what, what do I need to do with this? How do I, what do I need to do to obey it? Because it's powerful stuff. And then I've got to share it with somebody. The gospel is not meant to just keep to ourselves. God speaking to you is not just to keep to yourself. You know, I've heard people, I've shared Christ one time with a guy, and he's like, you don't need to be sharing that with me. That's a personal thing. My faith is my personal, that's a personal thing. Leave me out of that. You don't even talk about it. I'm like, well, I didn't say it to him, but I'm thinking, that's not the Jesus I know. He said, go and tell, man. He said, go and make disciples. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. And so whenever God speaks to your heart about something, y'all be telling somebody about it. It's part of being accountable as well. I'm going to share this with somebody. And so today, we're looking at Scripture that... Ephesians, again, I don't know if you've, how much time you spent there, if you've really spent time in this book, but there is so much uh, there that uh, I looked at the schedule for the kind of the, what we're going to look through for this next year. We're not going to finish with this book until probably summer. It's a long time. And in all reality, like I have, I'm supposed to do 18 through 23 today, yet I'm going to backtrack to go to 15 because there's so much there for us that there are implications and application for our own lives that Ryan got to some of it last week, but he didn't get to all of it because he couldn't. He didn't have time. But I saw a couple things in this verse 15 and 16. I thought, man, I can't. i got to at least go over this a little bit and apply it to us and maybe reinforce what he said last week. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to get verse 15 and 16 and 17, and then we'll go on to 18 through 23. You know, back about, I don't know, three weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, some of you in here, and I can see you right now, um, like Ryan and Laurel took their, took their kids to college for the first time. And um, 
you guys, a lot of y'all, you're on the Facebooks, you're on the Instagrams, whatever, and I saw those pictures of Laurel when she was saying goodbye to Grayson. Y'all remember some of this? Some of y'all saw it. Well, she, there's a picture of her, and I don't have it, but just imagine Laurel crying, and she's hugging Grayson, and she's crying. And I know that is such a difficult day, and that used to, I'm always kind of been interested in watching that from a distance. And uh, now it's coming closer and closer as our oldest is in high school, and I'm thinking, that is in, that's not too far off in the distance, actually, that I'm going to be in this situation. And I'm going to be just like her, I would imagine, and Brooks will love it because I will boo-hoo all over him and cry and cry and, and wail and moan. Ah! Some days I don't feel like that, but I think I will at that point. Um, it'll be a difficult, a difficult day for us as we send him off to college for the first time. And it's almost as if, and I don't know if this is true, it may be more true for girls than it is boys, but I don't think I turned into an adult until I was 30. But um, <laughs> supposedly when they go off to college, it's like a chapter being closed, isn't it? It's like a chapter in the family is being closed, that they're no longer under your roof, and the kids are off at college. And they have stepped into adulthood. That's debatable. Um, adulthood at that point, and they start their life living on their own. And as I watched these pictures of a lot of you and you sending your kids off, it just made me go back to when that happened to me. And I did not go off to college. I, w- I went to a, uh, I went to my freshman and sophomore year, I went to a local college, and so I lived at home those first two years. And so my junior year is really when I was sent off and sent out of the home, and uh, I was the youngest of five kids. And my mother, we packed up that old Chevy Silverado truck that was ugly as all get out, a gray and blue Silverado truck, packed it up, and I headed off for Baylor and Waco. Packed it up, went down there, and on the way down there, I knew the whole way, oh, the the time was going to come when she was going to leave, and I knew what was going to happen when she was saying bye, and I thought, oh, golly, I don't want to go through this. At the same time, I knew I was going to be homesick and miss just familiarity of being at home, and... um, I knew it was going to be a little bit of a struggle for me anyway. And so we get down there, we unload the truck. I think we went to lunch. And I remember dreading it um, that when she was going to leave. And I was sharing an apartment with three other guys. And I remember I can vividly see it right now. You know some of those memories in your life that are just burned into your memory? You know what I'm talking about? It just I can see exactly where I was and where she was when she turned around. Behind her, she was right over here. Behind her was my my really best friend for years and years, Brad, who I was going to be roommates with. And he's right behind her. And she, and she turned from him and looked around. And when she did, she lost it. I mean, lost it, just boo and crying. And I was about to lose it, but Brad was behind her going <laughs> like that, doing all this, a bunch of crazy stuff which kind of ticked me off in that moment, but it kept me from crying. And so I hugged my mom, said, Mom, I'm going to be fine. Thank you for everything. Sent her out the door. And I remember as she pulled away in that Silverado truck, she had backed up into that space. And I looked out the window blinds, and I can still see her driving away. And she would later tell me that as she drove away, I was the youngest again of five kids, youngest of five kids. It was like a chapter in her life had forever closed that her kids were now adults. And as she drove home that, that two or three hour drive, she told me she would just pray and say, God, I've done the very best I could with my son and my kids. I taught them who you are. I've shared the gospel with them. I've watched them. I've watched them come to know you. And I'm trusting that you're going to guide them. 
They're going to seek you. And she would always tell me, she would say, Kent, most of the people in the world will not live for Jesus. They don't really live for him. They may show up on a Sunday morning, but they don't live for him. You live for Jesus. He's the only thing that matters. I can't tell you how many times I heard that. And so she's driving home thinking about this. God, they're in your hands. He's in your hands. And I have to just trust you that you're going to be faithful. And I know you're faithful, but I'm going to trust that you're going to guard and guide him and let him live for you on that campus. And the chapter in my life had closed. And when I read the book of Ephesians over the last month or so, and as I prepare for this message, that is the exact feeling I get from Paul in this book, is that he has spent time with this church he knows him. As we read there, you can read that. I mean, you don't have to look at certain verses, but the whole thing is him just, he loves this church in Ephesus. And he says, man, I love you guys. In verse 15 and 16, it's like he goes on and on about them. Just, man, I'm hearing about you. I love you. And it's as if he spent all this time with the church at Ephesus, and he writes this letter to them. And it's similar to that feeling of just saying, I'm sending you out to be salt and to be light in the world. And if you read this book at all, if you remember this book, he talks a lot about the enemy coming in. He says in chapter 6, put on the full armor of God. The enemy is real. He's going to attack you. And he's going to try and cause disunity. He's going to try and cause great disunity within your church. But you stay, you stay focused on Jesus. You stay focused on Him. Don't allow the enemy to come in and cause division among you. You focus on Jesus. Focus on the spiritual blessings that are in Jesus. Just focus on Him. In fact, in verses 3 through 14, I don't think Ryan said this, but in verse 3 through 14, um, I don't know Greek. I'm like, I'm not fluent in Greek at all. I have to, I have to use Google a lot. But um, that is one sentence in Greek. And Paul and it's, it doesn't have any run-ons. It's like he's showing off. What's well, so good I am at Greek, y'all. No run-ons. No and, a lot of ands and buts and all that. No, it's all connected. It's one sentence and one thought. I mean, the whole thing. Is it, and you, probably your title here in that section of your Bible is spiritual blessings in Christ. He's talking about, hey, God chose you from the beginning of the world, predestined you that you would be sons and daughters of His, right? And the great blessing there is to know Him and to have a relationship with Him. He goes on and on. And it's obvious His love is for this church. And he's saying, man, I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out. Just follow Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on Him. Don't get focused on the things of this world, but on the full armor of God. Live for him, make much of Jesus. And it's like, I'm sending you out. I got to go plant other churches. In Romans 15, he says, I make it my ambition not to tread on someone else's foundation, but basically, I'm going to plant churches all over the place. And some of those churches had more problems than others. The one in Ephesus, from all accounts, from everything we can tell, they did pretty well. They did really well. And he's proud of them. So, verse 15, let's look there real quick. He says, For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. You get this? And we can just fly past this scripture and go, wow, he likes them a lot. They sound like they're doing well. That's great. Let's move on. Let's go to verse 17 now, shall we? You know? But as I've looked at the scripture this week, and I'm looking at this, it caused me, because of that pattern of what is God saying, what does it apply? How does that apply to me personally? I slowed down on that part of the verse, even though Ryan had already gone over it. And here's the thing I want to point out is, is simply this. Do you not think Paul, knowing this church so, so well, and he did, like he knew them well. You think he, he knew their strengths. He knew how well they were doing, right? 
But don't you think if you know someone really well, you also know the parts of their lives that's not so good? Like he could probably be very critical of them as well. Do you think? Or am I alone in this? Give me an amen. You think he would probably know their, their weaknesses? You can talk back. Amen? amen? If you don't agree with me, say amen. Okay, we're all in agreement here, okay? So he, he probably knows their, their weaknesses as well. And the reputation about these people had gotten around. So Paul leaves them. He's been with them. He leaves. And he gets word of, of what? Their great faith. He gets word that, man, these people, they are legit. Like, they're loving Jesus. It, something happened. They listened. And Jesus has changed their life. And so he gets word that, I'm hearing about these people who the fruit of the Spirit is evident in their life. Fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, what is that? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, thankfulness, gentleness, self-control. Did I miss one? What's that? Long-suffering, patience. He said, man, I'm hearing about all this. These people have great faith. And so he writes back to them and says, man, I, I keep hearing this about you. I've heard of your faith. I hear of the the great faith that you have of the fruit of the Spirit is being evident in your life of love that the world doesn't have. And it's only because of what Jesus had done in their lives. They had come to know the true Savior. And then he goes on, he says, and your love toward all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you. I, I don't. And I remember you in my prayer. See, the word had gotten out about this church. Among other churches who weren't doing quite so well, you can read Galatians and they get sidetracked. One of Ephesus, man, they are... They're charging on with the message he had left them, which is the gospel of Jesus. That man, he is to change your life. You read about, we read in Acts, you know, the early church, it was not perfect by any stretch. But what you won't find in Acts is a bunch of nominal believers, people who kind of take it or leave it, kind of check the box Christians. These are people who said, man, I love Jesus. He's worth sacrificing everything to. He's worthy of following. I'm going to follow him at all cost. That's what you find. And when you see this in Ephesus, more than likely, these are the kind of people that word had gotten out about this church. And he was not critical, although he probably could have been. You see in this book, he just exhorts them. He's encouraging. He's saying, man, I've heard about your faith. Come on, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Live for Jesus, live for Jesus. I keep praying for you. I'm thanking God for you every time I think about you. Which then made me think about us in our church. Now look, we've all been in different churches, haven't we? we? This is not the only church you've ever been in your life, more than likely. I, I, that's probably a stretch to say somebody's is the only church you've ever been in. And I've been in a lot of churches. And I'll tell you this, there is not a perfect one out there. And it's a lie of the enemy to say, let's go find another church. Somebody, I got upset with this person, let's go find somebody. I don't fit in there. I'm going to go find somebody else. I'm going to go find some other church to go to. Look, there are no perfect churches anywhere. And there are plenty of reasons to be critical within this church body. Okay? Can we all agree to that? We can. Because you know why? Because we're flesh and blood. Because we're sinful people. We are sinful people who do things. And you know what? Every single one of you that know me, it's not hard to criticize me. And you know what I found this week is I've thought about this scripture. Just 15 and 16. Just the application for my own life. I have found, not that this is a revelation for me, but I can be really critical of people. And I can judge you in a heartbeat by what you wear, by the way you talk, the way you treat me. You don't talk to me that way. You didn't invite me to this. What's up with that? You know, 
all this and get my feelings hurt about things, it is so easy in our flesh, every one of us, some of us have more of a prone to this than others, but all of us in our flesh are prone to be critical of each other instead of lifting each other up. And when I read Paul right here, he's like, man, I hear about your love for each other. Your agape love, you heard Ryan say that last week, the unconditional love for each other. I see that and I'm hearing about it. And my thought at that moment was, what does this community think about this church? What's the word about us? And I probably know, and I could go through a whole list, and you probably could too. Here's what I hope is going to happen. As we look at verse 18, that God will open your eyes and enlighten your eyes as a church body and believers with us, that we would unite together and link arms, kind of like in our new partner, new member meeting we had this morning. And so many of you are joining this family and fellowship. We talk about linking arms together to say, look, we all have issues. We're all a mess on our best days. But we see little bits of faith in our lives. We see little bits of God working in your lives. And to point that out and say, you know what? I'm not going to buy the lie of the enemy and start being critical of someone because of this reason or that reason. You know, it is real easy to love someone who loves you back, isn't it? It is no chore at all for me to love my wife because she loves me well. It's not hard. On the day she doesn't love me well, it's a little more of a challenge, isn't it? Isn't that true in relationships? Fortunately for me, I got the best one because she loves me well. She's easy for me to love. But on the other hand, I have other people in my life who have been very difficult to love. And they've been, quite honestly, a jerk to me. Just a flat-out jerk. And it's very difficult for me to show the love of Christ to them. It's very difficult. And could it be that some of you in this room have that with each other? Right? But here's what's going to stand out among all people that they'll take notice within this church body and out in the city is when you love someone who does not love you well and doesn't love you back. That you show agape love. And then the word gets out. Man, there's something going on in that church down there that meets in that school, in that gym. They're different. Not clicky. They love each other. And they're inviting their open arms and say, come on. Come on, come hear about Jesus. Come be changed by Jesus. Come be transformed by Jesus. And that's what I see when Paul is talking about this church in Ephesus. He's like, hey man, I could be critical, but I'm not going to be critical. I'm going to point out that I see great faith in the Lord Jesus. He changed your life. He changed your life. He didn't check a box. He changed your life. And then your love is unconditional. It's agape. It's, they love when people don't. People treat them terribly. Treat them like a big jerk. And look at the way they, they love them. Look at the fruit of the Spirit in their lives of having joy in the midst of very difficult circumstances, in the midst of a bad diagnosis, to have peace that passes all understanding, to say, I trust Him. I don't know what the future is, but I trust Him. To have joy in the midst of all that, of having patience, to have patience when, man, it runs thin in most people. And how does that happen, by the way? How do those things exhibit itself in you? How do you get that? Because I always want, if I could just be more patient, how does that happen? It happens when the Holy Spirit does His work in your heart and in my heart. That's how I'm able to love or how you would be able to love someone who is not loving to you. Honestly, you got somebody in your life who doesn't treat you well? Say, so how would Jesus treat them? Jesus, I can't do it. No, you can't in your flesh. You can't. Mm -mm. It's just about impossible. But through His Spirit, can He, can he do that through you? Yeah, He can do that through you. I'll answer that for you. Amen. He can do that through you. Can He give you patience when you didn't think you could even have any? The Holy Spirit can do that in you. 
He can do that in you. The fruit of the Spirit will be evident in your life when we start spending time with Him and saying, Jesus, work in my life. I'm not checking a box of, I prayed a prayer to get out of hell. I'm good now. That doesn't even exist in the New Testament, by the way. It's only people who've been changed by Him who said, man, I'm coming in contact with the one who opened my eyes. He breathed life into me. And it's not, I don't come to church just to check a box or just to come because that's what I do. But I need to come on a Sunday morning. I need to be encouraged in the Word. I need to be encouraged in my walk. I can't go a week without reading His Word. Can I share with you something just kind of on the inside here for me? And it's not a slam to the guys I'm reading this, the Bible with, the New Testament with this year. It's, it's concerning to me. Because the men that I've been doing this Bible study with, you don't know who they are. I have considered them for years to be godly men. Godly men. And I still do. But we see who reads and who doesn't. And literally, it's 10 minutes a day to read the Word and just make a few comments. And I've been, I've been honestly discouraged like of godly men who struggle to read the Word. 10 minutes a day. And it was early on for me, it was a struggle. I like, wasn't good grief. It's 10 minutes a day to be in His Word. How am I expecting God to change my life if I'm not in His Word? Just to say, God, speak to me. What are you saying to me? What do I need to do about this? Who am I going to tell? Just taking 10 minutes a day. But that's how the Spirit of God is going to work in your life. How else is He going to work if you never spend any time with Him? Just say, God, make this a priority. God, give me, as James 2, 13 says, that God would will it in you, that He would give you the desire to obey Him, the desire to follow Him. I love that scripture. It's something I pray all the time because I have not reached. It's not like I'm, I spend hours a day in here. It's not my attitude. It's not my natural desire. So to pray and say, God, I need your spirit to, to give me that desire for you to let the fruit of the Spirit also to be evident in my life, that great faith in my life would be exhibited. Not for my credit, not that you would go, boy, Ken, he's such a man of faith. It has nothing to do with it. That the faith in my life would be an encouragement to you, and your faith would be an encouragement to me. That my love for the saints, the love within this body, would be something that would be exhibited, that would glorify Christ. Like, look what he did with that train wreck of a guy. Look what he did. That guy's, look what he did. It's the Spirit of God that's done that, Right? Are y'all with me? Amen? Okay. That's verse 15 to 16. All right. Let's move on to the other parts. So he says in 16, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Whew, I love this verse right here. <clears throat> having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. The hope to which He's called you. Now, verse 18, let me read it again. He's praying this for the church, okay? And, and that's us. He's saying, I'm praying that you'll have the eyes of your hearts enlightened. What does that mean? Enlightened? Would you just enlighten me on what that means, Kent? Enlightened eyes? And here's what I think it means. It's like when a light bulb, and I prayed this earlier, it's like a light bulb going off in your head. Like, oh, I finally get it. And I thought about this this morning as I was looking at this again. thought, I remember being in algebra, algebra and uh, I am not a math whiz by any stretch. I think a calculator will do just fine. And um, I sat in algebra class and I would struggle and the teacher would teach it to me, and then I would have private tutoring. And I remember on one specific day, she was teaching it, and it was like, some of y'all had this experience, it's like, oh, 
what? I finally get it. It's, it, it makes all the sense in the world. And sometimes you read your Bible. Correct me if I'm wrong. I bet you're like me. You're like, what? What is that? What am I reading? I don't know what that means. Yes. Right? You ever been there? Yes. Like, I don't know. Is this King Jimmy? I just, I need a better, another something else to read. I can't get, give me the message. Don't do that. But the ESV is a good one. But there are times in my life when I've been like, it doesn't make sense. And Paul is saying right there, he's praying for this church. He's already seen great faith from them. But he continues to pray. He says, God, open their eyes, like enlighten their eyes, um, illuminate their eyes. Open them up. And that's when I said earlier, I said, you know how you love somebody unconditionally when they don't love you back? That is a work of the Spirit. This right here, that God would open their eyes, sometimes it's not going to make sense because He hasn't opened your eyes to it. And for me as well. And so he's praying and saying, God, open their eyes. Have their eyes or hearts enlightened. And there's three things here. And Ryan, he, he went past them last week. He mentioned them. I want to go a little bit in depth on these as well because I think there's great truth here. Having the eyes of your hearts in line that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. It's the first thing. The hope to which he's called you. You say, what is that hope? My hope's a good thing. I like hope. The absence of hope is hopelessness. I like having hope. But the hope he's talking about is not like... Um, it's not, it's not like um, a good example would be like, I hope that 121 gets finished and those orange barrels go away. <laughs> it ain't happening. It's just not. It's not going to happen. We're all in on a joke here. And it's just not going to happen, right? Or I hope that uh, Chick-fil-A won't be busy today. It ain't going to happen. There are going to be so many people there you can't walk in the doors, okay? But Paul here is saying, am I right? That's right. That's right. However, I went to Whataburger this morning and got me a taquito, and it was not too bad. It was awesome, by the way. But the hope that Paul's talking about here is not like hoping that we win, uh, hoping that, you know, the construction's finished. The hope he's talking about, he's saying, I, I want, and I'm asking God to enlighten our eyes, open our eyes to the hope that we find in Christ. It is a, it is a certainty is what he's talking about. That Jesus is who he says he is. Look, guys, I am, and I, I don't start to not admit this, but I, I'm a habitual doubter. And I'm reluctant to share that. Because it opens up a, a little bit of the door into my heart. Doubting God's goodness, doubting his faithfulness, doubting his plans in my life. Doubting if he's paying attention to me. God, do you see what's going on here? All of these things. And I so identify when John the Baptist is in jail and he's about to be beheaded. The guy who saw, uh, who was there, he baptized Jesus. He was in Elizabeth's womb. When Jesus walked in, he kicks because he knew the Savior of the world, the Messiah was there. This is John the Baptist. And at the end of his life, he's doubting. He says, he sends a couple of his disciples to Jesus and says, hey, uh, are you really the Messiah? Or is there somebody else coming? Or what's the deal like that, you know? He's about to die and he's doubting Jesus. And Jesus doesn't bail him out. Jesus says, oh yeah, I'm the one. People are receiving sight. People are healing. Blessed is man who doesn't fall away on account of me. He's saying, I am the one. You got to stay firm till the end. Be faithful to the end. I am the one. And so I relate so much 
to John the Baptist of just doubting and, and questioning God on everything he does. I think as I've gotten older, I've gotten less and less that way. But if you open up the, my heart, that's me, a habitual doubter. And so when I see Paul say that this is a hope, this is a certainty, that Jesus is in control of all things, that He is sovereign, that there is great hope in Jesus, that there is a certainty of following Him, that you can trust Him with all your heart. Man, it is at times for me difficult. But even as I thought about this scripture, I thought about this on, on uh, I think it was on Friday afternoon, I was reading the scripture again, thinking about this. And think about this certainty of following Jesus, that it is not a hope that I hope He is the Messiah. I hope this all works out in the end. I hope that following Jesus is going to get me to heaven. It is with a certainty that I know that I know that I know one day I'm going to sit across the chair from Him and look at Him face to face and talk to Him. I can hug Him. I can touch His, his, his nail prints. I can hug Him and tell Him how much I love Him. Thank you. And that is going to be a certainty that I will do that. And then I thought about this one day. There's a certainty. I was staying with my mother and father. My sister. And those loved ones. And we'll not be there for 10,000 years. We'll be there for millions and billions and trillions of years. That Jesus, He is a certainty that I get to do that in the future with the saints of God who will be with Him forever. It's no accident that we're here that God put... Oh, put the gospel in my heart and he changed my life. There is a certainty and it's a hope for which all of us have in Jesus Christ that we know him. And Paul says this to the church at Ephesus. They may have caught a little bit of a glimpse of it, just like me. I feel like I've seen a little bit of it, but my eyes are not like, you know, you wake somebody up and like, oh, that's what I want from my life. Like, oh my gosh, to see the hope that is found in Jesus alone. Like his only place you're ever going to find hope is in him. And it is not a just, I hope it all works. I hope it's he's the Savior. It's a certainty. And that's what Paul's saying here. That you would know that you know that you know. You have such, such incredible confidence that Jesus, he changed your life. And one day, all these struggles and pain in life, the aches and pains that you have, the difficulty, the things you watch on the news, the messed up world that we live in, it all will come to an end. He will reign supreme then and all of it will be washed away and we'll be with him forever. Now that is a hope. That is a hope worth living for. Amen? Can I get an amen? That is, I'll say it. Amen. That is, a, that is a hope worth living for and giving your life for. To know that Jesus, you are real. You live within me. The God who created everything. He lives within me. And he knows every detail of my life. And he is worth living for. Amen? Amen. Amen. The second thing he says, he says, I want you to open, God, I'm praying that you would open the eyes of this church. Have the eyes of their hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance. Now, glorious inheritance in the saints. Again, you can fly by this scripture. Oh, what's next? Okay, what's for lunch? But you stop right there. It's the second thing of three things that he's praying for this church. And he says, I'm praying that their eyes would be opened, right? God, open their eyes. Let them see. Let them fully see what this is. <clears throat> Having the eyes your hearts enlightened that you will see what the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You say, what is he talking about? It says, his glorious inheritance in who? The saints. So what does that indicate? And scholars, I've looked this up and there's some debate on this, but almost all of them would agree. Most likely what Paul is saying here is that God would look at you and me as believers and followers of him 
as children of God, men and women, boys and girls who know Jesus, that we are his inheritance. Hello. Is an inheritance a good thing? Yes. It's a good thing. Some are better than others. We know that, right? But God would look at you and me and say, you're you. And put, place your name there. You're my inheritance. That one day we're going to be with him. And Paul is saying, I want, I want this church, I want you to be able to see and take the scales off their eyes, God. Illuminate, let the light bulb go off in their, in their life that they will see just how great this is. That you and me are the inheritance of God. Now, if there is anything this morning that should be like, wow, man, that's some good stuff right there. I read that scripture. That's good. Going home with that. That should, boy, that should pump you up. To have to know that I am the inheritance of God, that I am loved in this way, that I am deeply cared for in this way. Good grief. It's unbelievable. And you look at verse 8, he talks about lavishing. God lavishes his love on us in such a way he says, I treasure you. I treasure you who you are. That you, you are my inheritance. That I am looking forward to that day. My saints, my men and women, boys and girls, the saints of God, the church itself are the inheritance that I'm going to receive. He created everything. How, it doesn't even make sense, does it? But that's the God that we serve. He says, man, I love you so much. You are, in fact, the inheritance. My, God's inheritance, the one who created us, you're my inheritance. It's incredible just to think about that right there. Just unbelievable to me. To stop there, not run past it, but go, God, Paul's saying, you want my eyes to be open to that? God, help me to see this, that I'm, in fact, I'm a treasured, I'm a treasure of his. Some of you have kids, right? Your grandkids, some of you looking forward to that day. Or you think about the thing that you love the most. I think about my wife and think about my kids. Think, man, my love, and I've often said this to them, like you just, and my mom would tell me this as well. She'd say, you just have no idea how much I love you. I'm like, yeah. I told her before she passed away, I'm like, no, I think I do. Because I got, I got my own kids. I understand that love. And yet the love that God has for us, such a silly illustration. It doesn't even make sense, hardly. Because His love for us is so much deeper. It's so much greater. He would look at you and say, man, I love you. In fact, Psalm 139 says, why you slept last night? You were snoozing and starting away. His mind was continually on you. And again, just run past that. No big deal. Now, I want to meditate on that. God, that you would love me in that way that your mind would be on me continually. It's incredible. It's incredible. All right, the third thing, he says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know, and he says in verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? What's he praying for? That we would know his great power. Some of us, and I've said this a couple times already, I hope this is not true of you. Some of us came to faith a long time ago and we prayed this magical prayer to get out of hell. And yet Jesus has never changed your life. And I don't say that from a position of arrogance, like look at me, come be like me. It's not at all what I'm saying. You're saying simply this, could it be that you've never experienced his power? And when you say power, like we get the power of God, what does that mean? Like, what are you talking about? Talking about the power that he gives to you over temptation 
and over sin of living in such a way that you're able to display the fruit of the Spirit in, in, in that way of having love for people that you never even expected to love, who treat you terribly, but yet you love them in a way that Jesus would love them. Having power over temptation. You know, if we were to go around this room, we would never do this, obviously, but every one of us, every single one of us, deals and struggles with something, and maybe many things, that you know is not honoring to God, and you've struggled with it for a long time, and probably you're going to struggle with it for the rest of your life. On this earth, you're going to struggle with it for the rest of your life. And could it be possibly what Paul is saying is that, God, I want you to open their eyes, open us who struggle with temptation, who struggle with sin. You would open their eyes to see that there is power within you. Jesus, is power within you that you can help me in those times when I am struggling and I give in to temptation. I give in to that habitual sin over and over again so much that I'm defeated. I've just quit trying because I just can't, can't get rid of it. Paul says, God, open their eyes that they would see that there's power within Jesus. That you would know this power. That there's power in His name. He's not some small God. He's a personal God who cares about you. He cares about your struggles. And He's a God full of grace who says, I can even, I'm going to shower you with grace of giving you a gift you never deserved. Of giving you mercy, of giving you something, of not giving you what you really did deserve, which is the penalty of sin and death, which is hell, which is separation from God. Instead, I'm going to look past all of it because of Jesus. I'm going to shower you with grace. And so the habitual sins in our lives, we don't like to talk about those things. And I could list them all off that are prevalent in our society. And I could list off mine because you know what? I deal with the same things. Temptation, all kinds of them. Self-control sometimes. The fruit of the Spirit, when I don't have control of my mouth sometimes and pop off and say things, it's not honoring to God. I've struggled with that all my life. All my life. You guys that play basketball with me, you hear me holler around a few times? Obviously, it's a struggle of mine in my life. I've struggled with that since I was a little boy and come to know Christ. Paul says, Kent, I want you to see, open, God, open his eyes that he'll see there's power within Jesus to conquer those things in our lives so that we would be honoring to him in our lives. Everything we do would honor him. God, I know I failed in this instance. I failed again and again and again. God, help me to see that there's power within Jesus to help me conquer those things. And so these three things that Paul says, are just three things within these few verses, right? That there's great hope within Jesus. That it's a certainty we're going to be with him. This certainty. And that we're an inheritance. That we're precious in the sight of God. And that there's great power within Jesus. And so i got to hurry. I know this. Verse, verse 19, he says, What's the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might. Now verse 20, and I'm wrapping up here, okay? He says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Again, that goes back showing you God's power. He raised Jesus from the dead. By the way, 500 eyewitnesses to that. That's a historical record, by the way. 500 people saw Jesus rise from the dead. It's a good, good little tidbit for you as you share Jesus with people who don't believe the Bible to be true. 500 people saw him. But the power of God raised Jesus from the dead. And that same power, hey, he lives within you. We know him. Lives within me. That power. If he raised Jesus from the dead, he can help you conquer sin, conquer temptation. You gotta rely on him and say, I gotta get in your word, God. Put your spirit within me. Okay? Verse 20. He says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Whew. I'll come right back to that. Far above all rule and authority power and dominion and above every name that is not named, not only in this age, but also in his but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. Who? Jesus? Yeah, Jesus. 
and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Go back to verse 20, verse 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. That's in the past tense, right? He seated him at the right hand of God. Do you know this? I don't have time to go into this. I got a bunch of notes on this. I didn't even look at them. But at the right hand of God. You know what the right hand in Scripture is? It is the place of sovereign rule and authority. And you see this all throughout Scripture. God would dish out his blessings from his right hand. He would dish out his judgment from his right hand. The king's great authority, the scepter, he would hold in his right hand. And it's just saying this, Paul's saying this, and he's being very descriptive when he says the right hand of the Father. He says, Jesus is sovereign over everything. He's in control of everything. Now, when we talk about the sovereignty of God, I don't know what sovereignty means to you. Uh, to me, especially in the book of Romans, and as I read Ephesians 2, and you'll look at that this next, next week, I see the sovereignty of God as He is in control of all things. Nothing is by accident. That I can trust Him. We didn't even talk about this, but Paul talks about it in here. He says that there's an enemy that we fight against, we wage war against. In chapter 6, he talks about this. We'll talk about that next, in the spring. We, we're putting the armor of God on because we wage war against an enemy. The, the enemy's real, by the way. Like, you know that? Demonic presence is real. I'd say I had not an opportunity. I was put into a situation years ago where I spoke to an actual demon. Here in the United States, a man talking to a girl. A demon talking to him. Had that instance a few times overseas. The demonic forces that are, that are present, the Bible talks about, they're real. They're real in your life. And you know what his aim is, the enemy? He aims to steal, to kill, and to destroy you. His aim is to destroy this church. His aim is to divide you and to divide us. He doesn't like that we're gathered here this morning, and so he will do anything to stir up dissension and remarks about each other to get you at odds with someone else in this church. And yet he will say in, later in Ephesians, he's like, let's be united in Christ. Don't let those things derail you. But let me say this. At the end of this passage, this first chapter, Paul is saying, God, open their eyes, not only those three things, but this thing. Jesus is sovereign over all. And there's an enemy that's real who's trying to go above him and trying to knock everything down that he does. But Jesus, he is over all and sovereign. And because of that, you can trust him. You can trust him with your life. And I said this earlier, that I'm a habitual doubter because I've had circumstances in my life that have been very difficult for me to deal with. And I've prayed about something. He didn't answer the way I wanted. So I got disillusioned with God. Yet looking back all these years later, I see him in the middle of all of it. God is involved. Listen to me. God is involved in your situation and your circumstances. I have a friend right now who got laid off again this week. And you're talking about down in the dumps again. They send his jobs to India. And just to say to him, God's involved in your life. He hasn't forgotten you. He knows what's going on in your situation. He knows what's going on in the lives of your kids. He knows he hears your prayers. He's sovereign over all those things. You know, I've traveled in South Asia with our ministry, and I've walked into homes and looked at little Buddhas, little pieces of wood. And that is not a God. That's a false God. That's a God that doesn't even exist. And yet we serve a God who is so personal. I sat on Friday in my office, and I had a girl who's looking to go to Sierra Leone with us to live there. And I said, tell me your story. And she began to recount her story through tears. I'm thinking in the middle of that, and I thought was, God, you are so, you're so personal. 
You know what's going on in her life when I didn't even know her. And you're at work in her life, and yet you were at work in my life. She didn't know me. You're speaking to me on a daily basis through your word. I know you're involved in every circumstance and everything that comes my way. Everything that comes my way. No matter what the enemy does, it passes before him, and he says yes or no, that will be allowed to happen in his life. And so whatever circumstance you're going through, whether it be a health reason or a health issue or some other reason that maybe you're questioning God's faithfulness or your kids are gone wayward or you have a job situation or your marriage is on the rocks or you're not getting along or some relationship or you just question God, what is the future? What, is it, what, are, what are we doing? What's, what's next? Let me tell you and just with assurance for you this morning to give you confidence, the God that I know and I don't say this in arrogance, but the God that I've come to know, He cares about every detail of your life. Every single thing. And it doesn't catch Him off guard. He does not, it does not catch Him off guard. It doesn't matter what your age is, from the youngest to the oldest. He knows every single thing going on in your life. And He's going to use all that for His good and for His glory. That's such a cliche, but it's the truth. He's going to use it for your good. Even bad things, He will use for His good, and He's going to get glory from it. Okay? So we trust in Him and say, God, you're on the throne. You're on the throne. God, open my eyes, open our church body and our eyes to see that, God, you're on the throne, you're sovereign, and we can trust you. God, move in my heart. Cause me to know you in a deep way so that I could see that again and again. God, open our eyes that we'll see that you're sovereign, you're in control, and allow it to change my day-to-day, hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute living. Say, God, you're a living, breathing. He's not some distant God. Oh, he's not a distant God. You may have thought that, but the God that I know and that many of you know in this room, and you sit there in your car, you're driving down the street, you're sitting at work, you're sitting laying in your bed, where is he? He's right there with you. And he knows the details of your life. He knows the circumstances and he knows what he's doing. Even when it doesn't seem like it, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing and he loves you. You are his inheritance. Whew. Good stuff, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this powerful scripture in Ephesians. God, we didn't even get to all of it. It's amazing. We didn't even get to all of this. There's just too much there. And we're so grateful, God, that you, even as I speak, you speak to me and how I'm loved by you, how each of us are loved by you, and you have a plan for our lives. God, I pray that you would open the eyes of our, of our folks here this morning. Help us to see your goodness. Help us see your power. Help us see that we are an inheritance of, of yours and that there's great hope in knowing you, Jesus. We trust you in that, God, that you'll do a work in our hearts. Not that we look at other people. We look at ourselves and say, God, work in my heart. Give us the desire to know you and to follow you, Lord. We love you so much and pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Parks Church of Melissa podcast. We meet at 1030 Sunday mornings at Melissa Middle School, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. The Parks Church, for the city, about a person.